Get lit. Welcome back to Get a Little Lit, the literary adjacent podcast where we talk about things that might not be a full Get Lit episode, but are definitely worth talking about nonetheless. I'm your host, Steph Svars, joined here by my co-host... John Stricker. And we have a fantastic episode for all of you. We are going to be talking about the stunt girls of journalism this month. So hopefully this is something totally new and that I think will be a really interesting topic for all of us to cover. But I am so excited to be talking about them. And this actually came out of a listener suggestion that we will be covering in about a week or so. So until then, hopefully the stunt girls episode gives us a little bit of context and a whole lot of information about these incredible group of women. Stephanie, I don't know anything about the stunt girls, so it sounds like it's going to be an action-packed episode, so I just can't wait. Great. Well, let's take the leap together. So, a stunt girl. John, I'm so glad you asked what this was. Let's clarify. A stunt girl refers to a female investigative journalist commonly found in the time period late 19th century to early 20th century in the United States. The concept of the stunt girl really emerges out of the fight for the common person. Joseph Pulitzer of newspaper and Pulitzer Prize fame is really trying to find ways to access a different market to sell more newspapers. So we have a huge influx of immigrants to the United States at this point who aren't necessarily the newspaper buying crowd for any number of reasons. And so in his efforts, Pulitzer, among many other publishers, tried to pitch some pieces that uh, get to the common person. The vocabulary is lowered or simplified. There are interesting or more accessible topics. Traditionally, in newspapers, they're not necessarily writing about the common person. They're writing either about like extravagant news items or focused on high society. And they're also a lower price point. So as this kind of emerges, we get the need for different forms of journalism. And one of the things that emerged is the, I guess, stunt girl. The word itself is often used pretty derogatorily, although I think it has a little bit of glitz and glamour for us now. I pulled a quote from Nathaniel Hawthorne that I thought was pretty entertaining, and he reflects in a letter to his publisher, quote, "...that damned mob of scribbling women. I should have no chance of success while the public taste is occupied with their trash." End quote. It sounds like they may not have liked his work, Stephanie. Is this just a personal vendetta he has against these stunt girls? But by the way, is this a pejorative term? Am I allowed to say this? Well, so they probably weren't even writing about the likes of Nathaniel Hawthorne. So I don't really know why he was so bitter about this. But he clearly had an opinion and felt the need to voice it to somebody. That person was his publisher. So the work that these women are doing is definitely on the more unusual side, sensational or bizarre. And this is also generally informed by the idea that women sort of doing anything on their own or fully independently were oddities, which I think, again, just wildly entertaining. Women at this point in time have no rights at all, including no rights to vote, no real way to divorce a husband, you know, without extreme measures, and certainly uh, other things that pop up here and there that we find deeply problematic today. So these sort of single solo women are doing participatory journalism, as it often sometimes called. But the male journalists doing the same thing are just called investigative journalists. 
So here's what they would do. Throughout the 1880s and 1890s, newspapers would employ women who would go undercover to ascertain certain secrets about all different kinds of organizations. This could be schools, factories, hospitals, tenements, prisons, etc. And effectively, the women would dress up in some form of costume, and they would slip into these places as patients or any, you know, workers, anything like that. So if they were investigating a hospital, they might get entered as a patient. If they were entering a school, they might dress up as a student or some sort of visitor. Factories, they might dress up as a worker. And they would examine and expose the corruption within these systems. It starts as a way to expose societal ills, of course, which are anything that's sort of a scourge or plague on society, including abuse and misappropriation of funds, embezzlement, all sorts of fun things, um, political scandals. But after this, of course, after the kind of initial series of stunts that are designed to sort of help the public, they become a little bit more sensational, like describing what it was like to be strapped into an electric chair at a mental institution. So, you know, find a girl who can do both. What is the connection between these stunt girls and people like Dorothea Dix or... Like other muckrakers, James Adams, uh, uh, like Hull House. That's a great question. Actually, there is kind of a an interesting Venn diagram that goes on between all of these women um, and the work that they're doing. And so, some might fall into the category of like dabble. Some might have fully been considered, you know, these stunt girls. But again, it's not really an organization, right? There isn't like a, a union of stunt girls necessarily that comes together, but rather this sort of general derogatory term for women who are doing work kind of like this. So we have covered Sophie Treadwell. On this podcast, she definitely did some work like this out in California, and several of our others, uh, several of our other authors also did. But the term muckraking also kind of aligns itself with this style of of work. So you might see some overlap there, and we'll touch on that a little bit later. Interesting. It seems like a matter of degree rather than uh, a separate uh, genre. Yeah, maybe that's a good way to think about it. They're all sort of, you know, within the same umbrella category of like yellow journalism, I guess. Right. It's like the difference between maybe like a a, a vulture or Mother Jones piece and something you'd find in the Atlantic or New York Times. Like they could have similar like aims, but like go about it through through different means. True. At the beginning, of course, again, these sort of have these noble aspirations to expose the the problems and issues with society. But some of the notable investigations that we're going to be discussing today include the work of girl reporter, her identity is unknown, we still don't know it today, who in 1888 visited over 200 physicians in the span of three weeks to take a look at abortion access in Chicago. I think this is really interesting to put into the context of the overturn of Roe versus Wade and sort of what that means and what a contemporary piece about this might look like, or really any of these. You'll see a lot of echoes, unfortunately, I think, in this episode, and this is one of them. But again, a woman who kind of goes undercover to discover what it what that industry looks like, which would have been not discussed um, in polite conversation. The fact that the girl reporter was willing to put herself in such a 
tenuous position because abortion is illegal at this point in in the state and to inquire about the state of this underground and very necessary medical procedure could have lasting consequences for her so 200 doctors in just a couple weeks i mean that's an incredible feat i know i don't feel just... like that's a stunt that feels more like a, a something that is is pressing and needed and a reflection of current society it definitely sounds like a, she was real good at scheduling. Let's just say that. Because <laughs> um, that's that's a lot of things to do over the course of three weeks. But yes, I think we will talk about kind of the, the ramifications of these women and their choices later. So I'm glad that you brought that up now. Um, please keep it on the table. The next woman that I want to talk about is Nell Cusack, who wrote as Nell Nelson, that was her byline, um, who in that same year, 1888, goes undercover into the factories of Chicago for the Chicago Times and writes a 21-part series called White Slave Girls. It's endorsed by the Chicago Trades and Labor Assembly um, and actually eventually earns her a book contract later down the line. So again, another very, you know, pro- working class um, expose about what it means to be a worker in a factory during this time, which if anyone's read factory reports from this time period knows it was not good. Right. And the fact that the labor unions woke up to the fact that there's a whole nother gender that is undergoing the same labor problems as men. It, it seems like this is a long overdue realization and can materially help their cause. Very true. And I think the kind of next point dovetails nicely into this with the role that women play in doing this kind of reporting about women. So, of course, prior to this, female journalists wrote about, you know, like cleaning supplies and had their own columns and papers, but very much focused on the domestic sphere. And so this sort of changes what women are able to write in newspapers. And prior to this, the women that they reported on, if any at all, were usually the victims of assault or murder. And so that was the news that was being reported. But now they get to take this alternative role. A lot of them, of course, wind up being the protagonists of the work that they're writing because they are going undercover. And so they're able to write about women and female experiences with a lot more knowledge than the male reporters that are doing it at the time, but also from this super unique and interesting perspective. They kind of celebrate or embrace the stories that exist that would maybe not have gotten written about from a man, including harassment and, of course, abortion and other healthcare rights, and even body hair and romantic issues. So things, again, that women were not really allowed to discuss in polite society. But they took a lot of flack for doing this kind of reporting. Male writers and readers criticized that is silly. This is a, a silly genre. It's sentimental. It's overly feminine. I think sentimental is a super kind of triggering word when it comes to any kind of woman at this time writing. But this idea that sentimental automatically means bad has always been something that I think has bothered me. And also the idea that women are so emotional that the things that they write are only sentimental rather than fact-based or persuasive or cutting edge. Like, what a reductionist way to see women. Right? We can't take that seriously. That's This is just a silly column. 
So a lot of the work that these female journalists are doing doesn't just buy, you know, produce more readership for the papers that are employing them, of course, but their exposés on these larger institutional-based issues is so widespread that sometimes governments are forced to take action on different occasions dealing with these issues as people saw them. So it did lead to correction and reform of a lot of these places, whether it was a smaller local level like the owners of the factory, or a larger governmental organization that's needing to confront the ills that have been exposed in their current system. And I think that that's the importance of journalism as a whole. Without someone shining a light on the things that need to be changed, it's you can't see them. And like you said earlier, women writing for women unleashes a whole new set of incredibly important subjects from a perspective that had been neglected, if not outwardly suppressed. So that's amazing that they were able to affect change by their writing. Yes. And I also wanted to bring up, like, we get all of these change and we can herald these women as incredible heroes, although they weren't necessarily seen that way at the time they did get different credit than the Black women that are doing similar work. So Ida B. Wells, who we've also covered and done an episode on, did not get this sort of, I guess, silly or frivolous treatment, but she was faced with these incredibly violent actions that confronted and came out of her work as a journalist reporting on lynchings. But they, if you remember from that episode, a white mob comes and burns down her printing press and her resources. And so where these women who are doing this reporting definitely suffered from a lot of the hardships of literally just doing this kind of reporting, they receive these threats in a different way than the Black women who are also doing similar work. There's an intersectionality of identity, as well as an intersectionality of prejudice, I imagine. Mm-hmm. So uh, after about a decade, we've got book deals that are coming out of these stories. We've got all kinds of stuff, the newspaper profits, but the public perception starts to change. And the women doing this kind of reporting start to face a lot of backlash. They lose a lot of credibility and then desirability in the workforce and oftentimes are not credited with the innovations that they brought to the field. Their assignments shift from public hazards and political issues and scandal to things like circus elephants, which, yes, controversial, but not really the same thing as the original stunt girls are used to reporting on, and then other things like nights and haunted houses. So again, kind of cool, but this feels a little bit more BuzzFeed than The New Yorker to me. I hear what you're saying, but if the work that you're doing continually is met with resistance, you tend to seek out the path that provides you the most success. And it sounds like this this BuzzFeed route for these uh, female reporters, uh, almost like they were backed into it, it sounds like. 
Yeah, I don't know that there was a lot of choice in what they got to then write about, mostly because of who would publish it, even if they had written a hard-hitting piece or something compelling and, and really important. If it didn't get published, it would be a lot harder to get that information out to the general public. So I think that's something to acknowledge. But it's this that we kind of then make the synonymous comparison of yellow journalism, the sort of sensational, not necessarily true journalism with the work that stunt girls are doing. And advice books for young female journalists that are written during this time period warn women to steer clear of stunt journalism altogether, that it's just not a route that they should go on. Today, stunt girls of the past are often frowned upon, and their work is sort of pulled into question by scholars in a contemporary context. They either have this kind of regressive perspective of the period, or then consider the work that women did to have delayed the true public acceptance of women in the media by creating these kind of caricatures, right? They're, they're kind of these silly, ridiculous women that are doing these silly, ridiculous things. So they set back, you know, the women who are really doing the hard-hitting journalism from this time period which again, just sort of feels like ill-placed assessment of what they are actually doing, especially when you consider what they were able to do at the time. I think that's sort of the most compelling part of this to me, is that during this time period, there were so many problems. And is it not better to expose them in in any kind of way and, and enhance and sharpen from that as opposed to not having it be featured at all? Right. In spite of the incredible headwinds, if it takes putting on a persona and a certain amount of stunt to get your message across or even to register, I think I understand the drive to behave in that manner. And perhaps rather than looking at them as regressive, we look at them as ahead of their time uh, in that I feel like today much of the journalism that you see is stunt-based in that there's some confabulated attention that is used to grab the reader's attention and and get a point across that is perhaps larger than the uh than the original stunt that pulled you in at the first point maybe maybe that's not a, a great interpretation of stunt journalism but maybe maybe these women were onto something True. And I think it's also important then to acknowledge the male counterpoint here as well, that for men, it's investigative journalism, and it's hard hitting important work that they're doing. And I think, you know, when you're going into the field to get these stories, like, where do you draw the line between what is stunt journalism and what is going in the field or doing something from the front lines? You know, regardless, you're getting this sort of first person perspective of what's going on, but sort of told and, and pitched in the way that acknowledges that perspective. So I think, again, it's kind of interesting to looking look at the tension between how men doing this work were perceived as opposed to women. So we're kind of left to consider the question that lots of female writers today are still sort of struggling with, telling the truth and being taken seriously. So in establishing a career in journalism, are their voices taken seriously? I think especially for young women, there's this kind of notion that young women in any kind of professional context wind up getting judged harshly by the media. I think about all of the people who do any kind of work in in reporting or any sort of front-facing thing, even things like influencing. And, you know, that's maybe a whole separate topic. But the idea that these young people don't necessarily know what they're talking about because they're young, we shouldn't necessarily take them seriously. And so I think these are important questions to raise today. And the Stunt Girls are definitely a group of individuals that we 
we can learn from and maybe celebrate their past instead of hide it or, um, you know, disregard it. So if you are interested in learning more about the stunt girls, a lot of the research that we pulled for this episode comes from and around the work done by Kim Todd in Sensational, The Hidden History of America's Stunt Girl Reporters, which is a book that you can um, get from any independent local bookstore. I would definitely recommend checking that out. But I think this is a fantastic way for us to go out with kind of a bang learning about the stunt girls. I'll stand by what I said. They were ahead of their time, and I didn't know anything about them before today, Stephanie, but uh, I'm happy to know that they existed and, and in some ways paved the way for women journalists today. Definitely. I think in kind of hearing about this topic and, and looking into it more, although, of course, the stories themselves are pretty sensational to read about, I think the women behind them are even more sensational. So... With that, hopefully you all enjoyed this episode of Get a Little Lit. We've pitched on our other episodes that we have a lot of exciting things coming up in the next month and month or two, and hopefully beyond that as well. So thank you so much for tuning in. And until we see and hear from you next, thank you so much for your support of this podcast. And thank you as always for keeping it a little lit. There's one.